Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's going on, Ville Church? This is Pastor Jay Harris here. Um, We are about to jump in the Word this morning. I'm so glad that you have decided to tune in. And um, my God, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I miss y'all so much. Um, I miss you dearly or whatever, and I can't wait till we're able to get back together. Thank you to so many of y'all that have been filling out the survey um, concerning returning back to meeting together. That has been extremely helpful, and we are working through that data right now at this time, and and we'll be coming back to you and letting you know um, what we're going to decide to do from there. But thank y'all so much for participating and doing that. If you are new this morning, if you've never joined into the Ville Church to listen to one of our sermons, we are happy to have you, and I pray that this word is a blessing this morning. If you have your Bibles in front of you, in your home, um, you can go to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 17 is where we're going to be at today. Um, and I'm excited to preach this text. I mean, you know, I'm sure many of y'all probably saw my sermon last week, um, and we ran the one from the week before. And so I have been in a tremendous amount of just grief with the circumstances um, from George Floyd and what came afterwards, as I know many of y'all have been. Um, there's so much news and information swirling around and just so much stuff that attacks you social social media just feels toxic um and and um and so in the middle of that well i found it so necessary to really search the gospel and so i've just been you know making a practice of being quiet waiting for the lord to show up so um my bitterness and anger doesn't spill out all over the place or whatever because that has been there for sure um but one once again harnessing the righteous anger or whatever because i believe that there is a righteous anger or whatever and um and and so you know these are these are really hard times or whatever and the gospel is our hope it's what we preach is what we believe and it's the biggest conversation so i pray that i can illuminate the gospel um for you this morning in the times that we find ourselves in so let's get to it i'm gonna talk quick because i'm excited all right just letting you know second corinthians 2 14 let me read it to you it says but thanks be to god who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is our text for today. Let me bring you to where we're gonna be at. God, I pray that you give me grace and mercy and power to be small and to lift up your word this morning. And uh, and, and and I pray that the, your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit does um, what it will in the ears of the listeners today. So. We are going to be focusing on the first part of this text. I could preach the whole thing, um, but I want you to walk away with something specific. So in this first line of verse 14, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge in him everywhere. And so I've read this text many times before, right? I've read the text many times before. When I've read the text, I've, I've you know, I've just read the part and was like triumphal procession. Yeah, I get it. Like Christ is leading us. He's the king. He's the conqueror. You know, we're more than conquerors with him. We're rolling with him. As I started digging in this text to preach it this morning, I came up on something that I've never saw when I've looked at this text in the past or whatever, right? This phrase, triumphal procession, is a Greek word that says, and, and I had a hard time finding this word in pronunciations, and I've had people correct me before, and I welcome them to hit me up and correct me again or whatever if I'm saying this wrong. But the word is triambusis or triembo, right? And so what the word means, it's mean, it means to be triumphed over. So let me give you an example. It would be like if I just went and conquered a city and then I led a parade through the city with all the people that I actually conquered. Um, so the, so, so it, it's, it, it, it lands a bit different in the text. So, so you know, if, if you're a believer and you read this, you could be like, yeah, we're the winners and we're following. And it's actually true. Even if you understood it to mean that, that would be a true understanding. But in a deeper understanding in the context of the word and how the word is used, and I believe it's used in Colossians somewhere else. You can look it up and do more research on it. It's used in this way of actually conquering your your enemies and leading them in procession as you triumphed over them so what that means in the context of the scripture is that it's talking about be but get but thanks be to god who in christ always leads us in triumphal procession so what does that look like in romans 7 24 we see paul saying paul says wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, I am wretched. He's walking in the light like the Bible tells us to. The Bible says, if you say you do not sin, you are a liar. That, that's in the scriptures. If you say you do not sin, you are a liar. And when you, when you say you don't sin, you betray the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of Christ. So even jumping back to my sermon next, last week, I talked about us not weeping with those who weep and how inside of the church our, our, our social and our intellectual IQ has been broken down because we carnally are separated. We don't weep with each other who weeps. One has a narrative, another one has a narrative based on race, based on classism, all these different things, but we don't hear each other. We're acting as if to be a believer and follower of Jesus Christ doesn't come with some form of credibility, right? So we betray each other in that sense. So the word tells us that that betrays fellowship. So if a brother says, hey, the way I experience you is kind of hurtful. When you say these things, it, it, it feels racist to me or it feels classist to me like you think you're better. What should that look like when the other person responds? It should look like, like, hey, brother, like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't even see what you're saying, but help me see it, right? The blind leading the blind doesn't help anybody, but somebody who has sight leading a blind person helps tremendously, right? So, like, humility is a part of being a believer, it's part of our calling and following Jesus, being humble, right? And listening or whatever, having ears to ear, to hear, eyes to see. But we, we betray it. So we betray fellowship with each other. 
But Paul, he's doing what that text says. He is actually walking in the light. And his, his, his proclamation is not that, hey, I mess up every now and then. I sin. I tell little white lies every now and then. He is like, nah, I am a wretched man. So what is Paul saying? In respect to three ambu or three ambusas, what is he saying? And, and, and he is saying, I need to be triumphed over. Who will save me from this body of sin that I am imprisoned to that destroys and breaks things? So God has given him a gift to have eyes to see. And he sees himself. He sees the world, but he sees himself. Lord, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He is saying, who will conquer this sin condition that I am enslaved to? And then he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, when I first got married, um, before I got married, when I was dating Lana, man, I, 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 I was confounded at the way she lived. The struggles her and her family had been through, um, they were just decent people. You know, she was going to school. She had money or whatever. She was up all night pushing through. They didn't have much, but they were so content. And it really convicted my heart because I had an excuse for why I sold, sold drugs, why, why I did the things, why I stole, all the foul stuff I did. I had an excuse for it. And, 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 and as I was dating her, I started to go into this thing where I'm looking at her and I'm like, I believe this girl is my wife. I believe there's something here, but I got a problem. My problem is I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I rob and steal. I sell drugs. All of these different things, I started to look at myself and I said, I have to run away from her lest I pull her in, which was typical in people's lives I had hurt and destroyed or pulled them into my way that I partied and the things that I did that didn't live like that and saw their lives go into a spiral. I'm like, I'm going to destroy her if I don't get away from her. I found myself in a situation where I was like, God, I'm wretched and I see it. Who can conquer this? Who can conquer this? God, can you conquer my heart and lead me in triumphant procession? I didn't say it like that, but my yearning was looking to be conquered so something beautiful could come forth out of it, something better than what I was, which was just wretched. Y'all rocking with me? So this text is just beautiful. The whole phraseology of it is beautiful, right? And so what, what do people that are conquered look like in the Bible or whatever? I just want to give you some examples or whatever. So I want to read some text to you so you can see what I'm saying also illuminated in the scripture. You look at Luke 18, 19 through 14. This is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? And so what you need to understand about this or whatever is that the Pharisees at this time were the religious elite. And then the tax collectors were disgusting. People would want to just spit on them when they saw them. They were the worst because not only were they the tax collectors that were taking their money, they were typically crooks who were gouging them for money. So systematically they were corrupt and they were working for the Roman government, right? So, so you imagine a foreign government comes in and takes America hostage or whatever, and then one of your American friends jumps on their side, works for them, and becomes the money gatherer for them. And, not, and on top of that, that's foul enough because they're a traitor, but not only, not only that, they're robbing you now, right? So they're taking money off the top, stuffing their pockets with it. The most despicable kind of traitor, right? 
Forget snitching. They didn't went past snitching, right? Disgusting. So this is this is the two people at the table here. So let me read it to you. Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also, and this is Jesus, and listen to this first phrase. It starts off with, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So here's the story. Two men went up in the, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee steps to the Lord in his prayer, and he starts running off his resume of how awesome he thinks he is, all these great things he does, right? And maybe he actually does them, but let's just keep reading. But the tax collectors, verse 13, but the tax collectors standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In verse 14 is Jesus' response. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see in this text that you have one person that in their mind, they believe that they actually are on the up and up, good to go, righteous, and all of that stuff. You have this other person who actually is walking and living the life out as a sinner, by nature of the job that they even do. It's systematically wrong, it's systematically corrupt, and they are in it, and this person actually knows it. But he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, God, conquer my wretched heart. I have an awareness of my sin. God, I see that you are holy and I am wretched. Please have mercy on me. And God, in his, in his lavish mercy, extends it to him. Let's keep reading a little bit. We look at the thief on the cross. Most of us know the story. Jesus, when he, when he goes to the cross and he is murdered unjustly, but he gives his life. He gives his life, right? He has thieves on the side of him, two thieves that are being persecuted for their crimes. And one thief, thief is mocking him. The other thief is on the other side of him. And the other thief looks over at Jesus and he says, you know, I should be up here. For the stuff I've done, this is a just penalty. This is a just penalty. He said, but you, you're innocent. You're holy. You're the son of God, right? This is what is going on in his heart. He's, he's having a epiphany at the point that he is justly being prosecuted that Jesus who stands next to him, who, who, who hangs on the cross next to him, is King of Kings, Lord of Lords over here. And God, by his grace, gives them the awareness to see clearly. And basically what this thief is saying on the cross, he's saying, lead me in triumphant procession. And Jesus says, I got you. I got you. I got you. 
So he goes off and he's, he goes he goes into eternity. Jesus says, you, you're going to join me in paradise. He's saying, I'm going to lead you in the triumphant procession into eternity. Your sins forgiven, forgiven, free from the stench and punishment of sin. But with a crown of righteousness, not purchased by this, uh, by the resume that the Pharisee ran off, not purchased by the thief on the cross. His resume was wretched, as he said and proclaimed, but purchased through the grace because of the in mercy that comes from God through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus atones for our sins on the cross. He is the he is the 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 sacrifice the sacrifice that pays for our wretched sins. So the wrath of God that is waiting for every single one of us, besides us who have been called into his glorious light, that wrath was spilled out, avalanched on Jesus. That's what was going on on the cross. If you never understood that, that's what happened on the cross. Jesus was taking your filthy resume, your wretched resume of sins, and he was bearing the punishment. And for us that believe that God has given the gift of, of belief, of salvation, of being called a child of God, of the eternal promise that we have to be with him forever satisfied. We get Jesus' resume. We don't show up at the gates pulling out our resume. We show up and we just, we point to Jesus. He paid the way for me to get in, right? Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I hear so many people, whatever, they have a problem with Christians and churches, and I completely understand it. I had a young man make a video and come at me and come at our church the other day, and we got on the phone and we talked like grown men, and, um, and, and, and this was just the other week. We got on the phone and we talked like grown men on the phone, and brother said, man, I'm so sorry about the video. I said, homie, I know why you made the video. I know what happens with pastors all the time. I know what happens with churches or whatever. You don't know me, but you know I'm a pastor, and I get it. There's a disdain that comes for even having the title that I have to wear or whatever. But I'm not blind to, to not understand why you even pulled the trigger and made the move you move. But nevertheless, we're here together, and God does that sometimes where he even uses conflict to bring us together. So we resolved it, and it's all love, and I made a friend that day, right? But, but, but what most people don't understand it's, it's not by our works. It's not anything that we can boast of. We're not going to make it to the end of this story and talk about the awesome things we did as a church. We're going to talk about the awesome things that God did to us and through us. And all the credit is going to go to him, to Jesus, right? I got another scripture for you. I'm going to be bringing this home, landing the plane soon. So yeah, this is this is the story of Zacchaeus. It's Luke 19, uh, verse 1, and we're going to be going through verse 10. He says, says, he entered Jericho. He's talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, another slime ball. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature or whatever. In other words, he was short. I know nothing about that, being short at all. But anyway, 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received them joyfully. And when the people saw it, right, when they saw it, they all grumbled. And they said, yo, he, he has gone in to be with this, the guest of, of a man who is a sinner. You got to understand, this guy is doing all type of systematic sin. He is the oppressor. So they're like, why are you going with this dude? You should be coming with one of us, right? And so verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to save, to excuse me, to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the hope of the world, right? Jesus is the hope of the world, right? And so, you know, I, I, he, he, there, is, there is systematic change happening in this text. There's a lot in this text. It seems like a short story, but there's a lot in this text, whatever, right? And so Jesus shows up, Zacchaeus, who is a sinner in his own right and is, jeopardized, is in jeopardy of the wrath of God that is going to land on him for his sin, but his sin plays out in the fact that he actually has power within this systematic structure and he is doing evil structurally systematically he is oppressing the people around him he is getting rich while they are getting poor he is digging in their pockets and taking the little that they have and so jesus comes and when he saves them not 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 fake saves them he plays christian but actually does something where he rewires his heart he gives them where he had a hard heart. He gives them a soft heart and it actually plays out in systematic change. It actually plays out into these people who are being oppressed by, by him being blessed. It actually plays out in reparations for all the money that he stole. His repentance looks like he is actually going to refund people the money he took from them. And he's even going to go four times over the limit. This dude has had a true, true experience with Jesus. A true experience with Jesus. His heart is being led in triumphant procession. His sin is being defeated. Jesus is leading him as one of his children, has turned him into a conqueror, but first he was conquered. The wretched sin that oozed out of his being has been conquered and God has given him life. Instead of oozing out death, hurt, oppression, racism, elitism, all these ugly isms that come out of the heart of mankind, God gives him a heart where he pours out the love of God because he's experienced the love of God. And so I hear some people now, whatever, in the background, they're probably going, you know, like, there's a, there, you know, in the words of Mob Deep, that what Mob Deep has on, they said, there's a war going on outside no man is safe from. You're right, there is a war going on outside, but some of us are safe. Because even if this world burns to a fricassee right now, 
God has given his children an eternal promise. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what he has waiting for us in eternity. Death for us isn't the end of it. Death is just a transition. Physical death is a transition into eternal life. But for some, death is going to be a transition into a death that you can't even comprehend. And I don't want that for you. And that's why I preach the gospel that I preach. The fact of the matter is there's a war going on inside your heart that no man, woman is safe from. Right? What am I telling you? I'm not telling you that we don't fight for justice. Justice is all through the Bible. God says, what do I require of you, man, but to have mercy and to do justice? He calls his people to actually do justice. We see it with Zacchaeus right there. He is telling, he saves Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' response is he turns and goes do justice to his fellow man. God has a better plan for justice for restoration, but it's not just systematic. It is eternal. This war that's inside, the wretchedness that's inside will damn you and me for eternity lest the blood of Jesus does its work and we receive what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. It's a gift from God. Your self-righteousness can't accomplish it. You can't work hard enough. You can't protest enough. You can't be activist enough. You can't save enough people. You can't give enough food to buy a seat at the royal feast with Jesus Christ the King. It's an offense. It's an offense. Because the seat he has for you, it costs his blood. It cost his blood. It cost his life. So our works are filthy before him. We don't have no bargaining power here. We accept the beauty of being defeated. Of walking in the light and going, God. Like the, like, like the tax collector in the temple. God, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Because in doing so, we're saying, God, our way is not the way. We don't know the way. On our best day, we don't know the way. I have an idea of what I think is righteous, but I don't even trust that no more. God, you are the way, the truth, and the light. That is what is being proclaimed. That is a gift that he gives us. So we look at Zacchaeus. He saves him, makes him into a gospel witness. But he also... Addresses, addresses the systematic problem and the oppression that stands in this community. There's economic change, there's social change, there's relational change. Proverbs 29, 2 says this. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. These people who mourned because of Zacchaeus' status and the position he played, they are now going to rejoice. It, 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 it's flipped that quick. It's flipped that quick. He went from gouging them and digging in their pockets and, and functioning like an extorter to throwing out checks, to relieving himself of his ill-gotten wealth 
to showering the people with blessings. And that's a beautiful thing. But the biggest thing is while he's making the rain, he's going to be telling them about Jesus who rained mercy and love and grace on his heart. Jesus who conquered his wretchedness that they all bear witness to. He conquered it and saved them and now is leading him in triumphant procession to be a blessing to others and proclaim the gospel. You know, in the, in the climate we're in right now, in the climate we're in right now, we, we, we have, you know, we have so many people that are going to put on masks in this moment. People are running around and they're ready to cut racist throats right now. Like, hey, everybody can get it. If you've been racist, if you've been a part of a systematic deal or whatever that's been racist, whatever, you're going to get it, right? Here's the problem. The problem is this right here. We don't need people to be anti-racist right now. Some of these people in their self-righteousness, they're just going to put on the anti-racist mask or whatever and shout down all the people they think are racist. But some of them, you actually need to put on your racist mask. You need to put on your racist, racist mask and you need to actually repent. You need to actually let God conquer your racist heart and lead you in triumphant procession, which looks like us being sanctified. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. After I saw George Floyd get killed, I can't tell you the type of racist hatred that spewed out of my heart. I thought about murdering for three days straight. All I thought about was the cop who was sitting on his neck and all I could think about was killing him. So I stayed quiet for a couple days because I said, God, please come save me because it's driving me mad. I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. I dreamed about it. It's like, God, come conquer my heart, because this ain't going to go well. Come conquer my heart. People need to put on their racist face. Let God conquer their heart and begin the journey, because it's a journey to becoming anti-racist. And that is not something that you wear because you're self-righteous and good. It's something that God comes and saves your heart like he did Zacchaeus to where you begin to undo things that are systematically around you that, that you're being made aware of, where you start letting conversations land on your lap or whatever, and you, they, you used to just shut them down, but now you hear and you grieve them and you go, I don't want to do that no more. I don't want to do that no more. I want to do something about that. But that's not even your goodness. It's not my goodness that said, God, save me from this anger. If it's up to me, I'd be like, God, I don't want to hear it. Somebody needs to fall over this. It's a gift from God. None of us will be able to boast. None of us. I've seen this a million times in churches. I've seen it a million times with churches, with pastors. I've talked to them about their racism, interjected in situations that happen. And they're like, you know, they, 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 they use this phrase. It's funny because I just seen a, a, a businessman that we all know or whatever that the whole world knows. He just made a, a statement about he's happy to lose, um, you know, that kind of customer. He was referring to racist customers. 
And I've heard pastors inside of churches say that too, like, I don't mind losing those kind of members. You aren't welcome here. The problem is when I showed up to their door to tell them about their racism, they had their anti-racist mask on. But I said, homie, I'm not talking about those people out there. That's good, you're anti-racist. But can you put on your racist mask and repent? Don't play the game for me because I'm talking about you hurting people. I'm talking about your systematics in your church and in your building or whatever hurting people. We preach repentance. You drinking what you're selling? So we go into verse 14. I'm going to bring this to a close. I'm not even going to go through all of this, but I'm going to just read it because it's beautiful. But he says, but thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. We don't hustle God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You can go back to that text in your own time, but there's a the part there, whatever, where he's talking about the spread, the, the, that through us God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, and that we are the aroma of Christ to people who are being saved and even to people who are being, who are perishing, right? So what do they smell? What do they smell coming off of us? They smell the fragrance of a contrite heart, right? Because people, you look inside of Zacchaeus' story that I just read to you. He was oppressing people. And he was a sinner and he was guilty. But the people who were being oppressed, when Jesus went to go with them, they said, why in the world is he going with them? With him, he's a sinner. The thing they missed is they were, they were sinners also. Systematically, they may not be the oppressors in that circumstance, but they're sinners. And the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We will all stand before God for our individual sin and give an account. And you ain't got no count. All we got is Jesus and what he's done. But if you try to give account, you're going to be in bad shape. But the point of what I'm saying is this right here, is that they missed that they were actually sinners also. Then they, them and Zacchaeus were in the same boat. They both are in jeopardy of eternal damnation because of their sin. I don't care who plays the press, press or not. I don't care who plays the slave and who plays the slave master or whatever. At the end of the day, God in our respective spaces is going to look at our heart and whether we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So not even our well-intended heart, but our heart having been transformed by Jesus. It's not our works. It's not our self-righteousness. So there is a fragrance of a contrite heart, a heart that is fully aware of the stench of our own sin, fully aware of the stench of the sin of others, fully aware that outside of the grace and mercy of God through the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that their fates would be the same. So as we protest and we shout down injustice as we should, what we make of most importance is the loudest thing we shout, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves his enemies. He takes his enemies' hearts and leads them in triumphant procession. He conquers our wretched condition, and then he leads us forward.
If you are on this message today and you are listening and this is messing with your heart and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to explain to you right now that that thing that you're feeling is the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit or whatever. You ain't on this call. You ain't on this message, on this video by, by just a, a random act or whatever because you just woke up. God has led you here to hear this good news. But don't miss the bad news that I gave you. The gospel is called good news because it, it, it follows after some very bad news. And the very bad news is that just like Paul declared, you are wretched. I am wretched. My sin is damnable, right? It is God is just in his wrath against us. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But if you keep reading on afterwards, what it tells you is that mankind is already condemned in their sin. So it's not that you got off track and you need to get on track. You are off the track. Our sin has us off the track. And God, and he, if, he, if you feel what I'm saying right now, it's only through the power of God who is opening your eyes to let you know you are in a bad situation. That's that bad news. Your soul will be lost for eternity. That is the most big, that's the most important and the biggest conversation happening in the world right now. Everything else could burn. But our eternity is the most important thing. And if you don't know him, you got some bad news. You, you in bad news. You are bad news. But I'm giving you good news. Jesus loves you. Jesus causes people to be ministers of reconciliation. We are in the business because we have been conquered and now brought into God's triumphant procession. We are part of the Lord's army, and he actually is up to what he did to us. He lets us in on it. He makes even his enemies become his children by conquering their hard heart against them. So God is looking to conquer your heart this morning. I pray that you don't resist them and that you receive. Don't be afraid. I know you have so many things that you've heard before. I was in the same place when I came to the Lord, a million different things. Trust them. It says the just will live by faith. You can't add all the two plus two and all that stuff and figure it all out. It ain't gonna work. It ain't gonna work. God is looking to arrest your heart. He's looking to arrest your heart. He's looking to conquer your heart this morning. So please receive it and listen. Let me pray for you as we close out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise you, Father. God, I thank you, Lord, that how in the world do you allow us to even touch a word in a message so royal? You conquer our hearts and bring us into um, your family. You open our eyes to our sin. You let us have a wife and kids knowing we are full out wretched and will destroy it. But you've conquered our hearts, so you let us live out this goodness that you've given to us and give it out to other people. You let us be in community and love each other. Even with differences, you help us to actually take this long walk and be long-suffering. 
and you sanctify us in the process. You give us ears to hear, to not just fight and shout each other down and contend with each other, but to hear each other and you let it hurt. And we thank you for that hurt. Give us ears to hear that we can grow and be sanctified more and more. God, I pray for the people who are tuned in this morning that they didn't even know what the gospel was. They thought walking around and doing the gospel was this thing they saw somebody else do where you just act religious and you, you try to act spiritual and spooky or whatever, or you're just good and you're better than everybody else. But that's not it at all. It's not it at all. The gospel is something that you did. It's something that you did on the cross, Father, Lord, through Jesus Christ, and that you did for us. The work is not on us. The work is that you've done the work for us. You've sent Jesus to pay the cost for our sins. You've sent Jesus to, to lock down our position in the book of life, that when we stand before you, say, yeah, I see you in there. I see your name in there. Come on in. You take our sins and you wash them. You give us Jesus' perfect resume, and he paid the price. I pray this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father Lord, that that lands on people's hearts this morning and that it conquers their heart if they don't know you. For us, Father Lord, that have been complacent or in places where we have just been sinful in the, in the realm of this topic that was preached this morning, I pray that you would conquer our heart all the more and sanctify us even more, Father Lord, and help us to grow closer to you. Let us be patient in the middle of all the ruckus and everything else that we don't get so bright and smart that we try to run past you or in front of you. But Father, Lord, conquer our hearts and lead us in triumphant procession. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray for our city. We pray for our city officials. We pray for the protesters that are out there standing their ground fighting for something right. We pray for the cops, Father, Lord. The cops, who even the cops who have been brutal, Lord, I pray that you save their soul from the punishment and the wrath that is to come. I pray for them like Zacchaeus. There's going to be an eternal punishment for the sins of all of us who deny you. So I pray for the people I can't even stand right now. But I can't stand my own wretchedness. So what can I do but give away mercy where I need mercy? So God, I pray for the people who are hurting right now in the 